Welcome to The End of Innocence. I'm your host, John Young. This will be the first of several episodes on what would become a very important 26-second piece of video footage we all know as a Zapruder film. In this episode, we will take a look back at how and why Abraham Zapruder shot the film in the first place. In future episodes, we will break down frame by frame of the video and see what it tells us about that awful day in Dallas. On November 22, 1963, Dallas dress manufacturer Abraham Zapruder and his secretary, Marilyn Seitzman, went to Elm Street in downtown Dallas to watch President John Kennedy's motorcade pass. Supported by Seitzman, Zapruder climbed a concrete pedestal next to a small staircase for a better view. Using an 8mm camera, Zapruder photographed the motorcade from the moment it turned onto Elm Street from Houston Street until it went under a railroad bridge. President Kennedy was mortally wounded by gunshots as his limousine was almost immediately in front of Zapruder. It would become the most important home movie in the history of our country. Texas, the flash, apparently official, President Kennedy died at 1 p.m. Central Standard Time, 2 o'clock Eastern Standard Time, some 38 minutes ago. Attention all squad, the suspect in the shooting at Elm in Houston is reported to be an unknown white male, approximately 30, slender build, height 5 feet 10 inches, Weight 165 pounds, reported to be armed with what is thought to be a 30 caliber 
rifle. No further description at this time or information. 1245 KKB36. No, I've not been charged with that. In fact, nobody has said that to me yet. Uh, the first thing I heard about it was when the newspaper reporters in the hall uh, asked me that question. At the time of the assassination, Zapruder was an admirer of President Kennedy and considered himself a Democrat. Zapruder had originally planned to film the motorcade, but he decided not to film the event because it had been raining that morning. When he arrived at work that morning without his camera, Zapruder's assistant, Marilyn Seitzman, insisted that he retrieve it from his home before going to Dealey Plaza because the weather had cleared. What an enormous decision that turned out to be, and it would alter history forever. Zapruder's movie camera was an 8mm Bell & Howe Zomatic Director Series model 414PD, top of the line when it was purchased in 1962. Zapruder had planned to film the motorcade from his office window, but decided to choose a more optimal spot in Dealey Plaza where the motorcade would be passing. Camera in hand, Abraham Zapruder went down to Dealey Plaza to scout out a location. He tried a few places, walking all along the curb on Elm Street, but could not find solid footing there. Another spot was blocked by a tree. After a while, his receptionist, Marilyn Seisman, came walking up the hill of the now famous Grassy Knoll. There she encountered Zapruder taking some test shots of his payroll clerk, Beatrice Hesser, and her husband, Charles, sitting on the pergola at the back of the plaza. As Zapruder continued to look for a place to stand, Marilyn suggested a four-foot-high concrete pedestal. It was the perfect location, high above the street, giving him a clear view of the length of Elm. The President and Mrs. Kennedy would ride right past in the open-top limousine. There was a risk, however. He would need to set the telephoto lens on full zoom in order to get a clear view of them, and he worried that he would get dizzy standing up on the ledge while following them through the lens as they passed by. Since he suffered from vertigo, this was a real possibility. So as Zapruder climbed up on the ledge and found his bearings, he asked Marilyn to stand behind him and steady him if he started to lose his balance. 
While Sotsman stood behind Zapruder and held his coat to steady him, he began filming the presidential motorcade as it turned from Houston Street onto Elm Street in front of the Texas School Book Depository Building. Zapruder's film captured 26.6 seconds of the traveling motorcade carrying President Kennedy on 486 frames of Kodak Kodachrome safety film. Zapruder's film captured the fatal headshot that struck President Kennedy as his limousine passed almost directly in front of Zapruder in Seisman's position, which was 65 feet from the center of Elm Street. Abraham Zapruder wasn't the only photographer on the scene that day. In fact, there were no fewer than 22 photographers in Dealey Plaza, most of them amateurs, positioned along the last part of the motorcade route. Some were shooting black and white or color stills, Polaroids or 35mm slides, while several others had movie cameras loaded with color film. It seemed everyone had the same ideal. Mary Mormon and James Algens had their cameras loaded with black and white film and were positioned near the curb across the street from Abraham Zapruder was standing. Further up the street, near the hairpin turn from Houston onto Elm, Philip Willis stood ready with color film in his camera. Mary Muchmore was standing on the opposite side of Elm from Abraham Zapruder, on a grassy area set back from the street, her movie camera loaded with color film. Over on Main Street, Orville Nix was waiting with a camera and color film as well. Years later, in an interview with Marilyn Seisman, she remembered, quote, When they started to make their first turn, turning into the street, Zapruder said, Okay, here we go, end quote. Those first few seconds of the film are perfect. The sun is shining and you can clearly see the unmistakable handsome face of the president as he brushes his hair back from his face, lowering his arms as he turns towards the crowd on his right, smiling and raising his hand again to wave briefly. For an instant, the back of a freeway sign obscures the limousine, and the Kennedys reappear. Here is a pruder in a rare 1966 radio interview describing what happened next. The images are seared in America's collective consciousness. Whether you lived through it at the time or are one of the more than 60 million who weren't born in 1963, the visual images of a young president being brutally murdered endure as a deeply personal experience. Abraham Zapruder, a 58-year-old dress manufacturer, forgot to bring his camera that day, but his secretary convinced him to go back home to get it, arguing, when are you going to get another chance to film the president? He checked out three spots before finally positioning himself in the lower left corner of this grassy knoll in front of the Texas School Book Depository building. It was a perfect vantage point to film the presidential motorcade. I saw the motorcycles, then the car approached, and uh, Jacqueline and the president were waving, and as he came in line with my camera, I heard a shot. I saw the president lean over to Jacqueline, then the second shot came, and then I realized I saw his head open up, and I started yelling, they killed him, they killed him. And I continued shooting until he went down to the underpass. It's uh, left in my mind like a wound that heals up, but yet there's some pain left as to what has happened. The film sequence runs 26 seconds, but in the years afterward, it has gone through thousands of hours of frame-by-frame scrutiny and has been the centerpiece of every official investigation. The Warren Commission relied on it to answer questions about how the shooting happened. The film has also served to fuel many of the conspiracy theories. The Bell and Howell camera is now in the Dallas Museum. A new camera the company gave Zapruder was never used. He told me he could not again put his eye to the viewfinder because it simply rekindled all the images of that awful Friday in November. 
For an instance, the pruder in Maryland stood stunned on the concrete stump, paralyzed by what had just happened. Then someone behind them dropped a soda bottle, which made a loud crack and shattered on the concrete. Maryland recalled that the noise woke them out of their shock trance. She states, quote, Some people were screaming. I mean, it was utter chaos by that time. But the first thing I remember is after that bottle hit and I looked down, everybody was laying flat on the ground almost. There might have been one or two people still standing, but I would say that 98% of the people were still lying flat on their side on the hill, end quote. Sapruder later recalled that he immediately knew that President Kennedy's wound was fatal, as he saw the president's head explode like a firecracker. Zapruder said he never remembered getting down from the ledge or anything that happened in the immediate aftermath of the shooting, except for his own anguished screams. A still photo taken by James Altons of the Associated Press shows Marilyn and Zapruder in his hat and bow tie, holding the camera. They are faintly visible in the far background, having just gotten down from their perch. They moved toward the pergola where the Hesters had been standing during the motorcade, but in the panic and chaos, Zapruder soon got separated from the rest of them. He was by himself in the plaza, distraught and in a daze, with the camera still in his hand and the case slung over his shoulder when he encountered Harry McCormick, a reporter from the Dallas Morning News. McCormick had been at the trademark waiting for the president to arrive when he heard of the shooting. He rushed over to Digley Plaza where he spotted Zapruder holding his camera and immediately approached him to find out if he had caught the shooting on film. Zapruder answered that he would not speak about the film with anyone but the federal authorities. In McCormick's account, it was he who told Zapruder that the Secret Service would want to see his film and offered to get Dallas Secret Service Chief Four Sawyers and bring him to Jennifer Jr.'s, which was the business that Zapruder owned. Somehow, Zapruder got back to the office. His secretary, Lillian, remembered that, quote, everybody was going nuts, turning on the television. There was nothing and you couldn't get anything on television. So anyway, he walked in and he handed me the camera. He says, quote, I've got it all on there, end quote. Zapruder later tried to piece together his memory of the traumatic first moments after the assassination. He states, quote, well, I was in a state of shock when I got back, and I was kicking and banging the desk. I couldn't understand how a thing like this could happen in our country. I personally have never seen anybody killed in my life, and to see something like this, shooting a man down like a dog, I just couldn't believe it, end quote. Harry McCormick later found Sawyers outside the sheriff's office at Maine and Houston, and together they went to Zapruder's office. Zapruder agreed to give the film to Sawyers on the condition it would be used only for the investigation of the assassination. The three men then took the film to television station WFAA in Dallas to be developed. After it was realized that WFAA was unable to develop Zapruder's footage, the film was taken to Eastman Kodak's Dallas processing plant later that afternoon where it was to be immediately developed. As the Kodachrome process requires different equipment for duplication than for simple development, Zapruder's film was not developed until around 6.30 p.m. The original developed film was taken to Jamison Film Company, where three additional copies were exposed. These were returned to Kodak around 8 p.m. for processing. Zapruder kept the original plus one copy and gave the other two copies to Sorrels, who took them to the Secret Service headquarters in Washington, D.C. While at WFAA, Zapruder described on live television the assassination of President Kennedy. A gentleman just walked in our studio that I am meeting for the first time as well as you. This is WFAA-TV in Dallas, Texas. May I have your name, please, sir? My name is Abraham Zapruder. 
Mr. Zapruda? Zapruda, yes, sir. Zapruda. And would you tell us your story, please, sir? I got out in, uh, about a half hour earlier and get to a good spot to shoot some pictures. And I found a spot, one of these uh, concrete blocks that I have there near that park near the underpass. And I got on top there. There was another girl from my office. She was right behind me. And as I was shooting, as the president was coming down from Houston Street making his turn, it was about halfway down there, I had a shot. And he slumped to the side like this. Then I had another shot or two. I couldn't say it was one or two. And I saw his head practically open up, all blood and everything, and I kept on shooting. That's about all. I'm just sick again. I think that pretty well expresses the entire yeah, feelings of the whole world. Terrible. You have the film in your camera. We'll try yes, to get, I brought it on the studio. Now. We'll try to get that processed and have it as soon as possible. I, I must have been the line of fire when I see now the picture where I was. I was right on that uh, concrete block, as I said. And as I explained before, as a sickening scene. At first, I thought perhaps it's a. Uh, it sounded like uh, somebody make a joke. You have a, a shot and somebody grabs their stomach. I was about 100 yards away from uh, one of our other. The boy and I walked over to see President Kennedy. We were about 100 yards away, and it sounded like there were three shots. And after the first couple, I said, uh, uh, My God, uh, they've shot the president. And then we walked over and looked down and could see the people on the grass there. And I imagine you were one of the people that we saw there uh, underneath the viaduct. This, um, uh, this happened this afternoon about, uh, what time, 12.35, the president died at like it was at 1 o'clock. They sounded like, uh, at first they sounded like firecrackers, and somebody <clears throat> next to us said they were shooting off fireworks, but then we realized, uh, it didn't take but a minute to realize that they were uh, loud reports, and for those of you who are familiar with hearing a rifle shot, it was uh, a recognizable sound. Late that evening, Zapruder was contacted at home by Richard Stoley, an editor at Life magazine. They arranged to meet the following morning to view the film, after which Zapruder sold the print rights to Life for $50,000. Stoley was representing Time Life on behalf of publisher Charles Douglas Jackson. The following day, which was November 24th, Life purchased all rights to the film for a total of $150,000, which would be $1,434,000 today. The night after the assassination, Zapruder said he had a nightmare in which he saw a booth in Times Square advertising, quote, see the president's head explode, end quote. He determined that while he was willing to make money from the film, he did not want the public to see the full horror of what he had seen. Therefore, a condition of the sale to life was that frame 313, showing the fatal headshot, would be withheld. Individual frames from the film were published in black and white in the November 29th issue of Life magazine and in color in subsequent issues. By this point, a number of frames had been damaged or deleted. Life ordered 16mm and 35mm copies made in 1967 and 1968. A copy was used in the 1969 trial of Clay Shaw and was shown 10 times by prosecutor Jim Garrison. Although he made a profit from selling the film, he asked that the amount he was paid not be publicly disclosed. 
Zapruder later donated $25,000, which is about $239,000 today, of the money he was paid to the widow of Officer J.D. Tippett, a Dallas police officer who was shot and killed supposedly by Lee Harvey Oswald 45 minutes after President Kennedy was killed. In 1975, Time Inc., which owned Life magazine, sold the film back to the Zapruder family for $1. In 1978, the Zapruders allowed the film to be stored at the National Archive and Records Administration, where it remains. In 1999, the Zapruders donated the copyright of the film to the Sixth Form Museum at Dealey Plaza. In his testimony to the Warren Commission, Zapruder was asked for his impression regarding the direction of the shots. Zapruder said that he had assumed the shots came from behind him because the President's head went backwards from the fatal shot, and also, that the wound on the side of the president's head was facing that direction. He also said he believes it was because police officers ran to the area behind him, which was the grassy knoll. Zapruder broke down and wept as he recalled the assassination, and did so again at the 1969 trial of Clay Shaw. In March 1975, ABC's Goodnight America, hosted by Geraldo Rivera, broadcast an apparently bootleg copy of the Zapruder film. It was the first time the film was seen on television. I want to introduce uh, another guest. We have Robert Groden, who is celebrating his 18th birthday on the 22nd of November in 1963. He was profoundly touched by the president's death, and he desperately wanted to understand how it could have happened. For two years, he, like most Americans, believed in the official version, the Warren Commission version of what happened. But the day he first saw that 8 millimeters of Pruda film, that amateur film that was made, that was the day he stopped believing. Uh, Robert, welcome, and I wish you could set up the Zapruder film a bit for us, and we'll get right into it. Okay. Uh, Abraham Zapruder was a Dallas dress manufacturer, and it was pure accident that he brought the camera with him that day. He almost didn't. And he was looking for a good vantage point, and he picked a point on Elm Street in Dilly Plaza in downtown Dallas. As the motorcade passed in front of him, he got what is frame for frame the most valuable historical document of all time. It's become very chic among uh, television producers to uh, put a disclaimer at the head uh, of any film. The film you're about to see might be shocking, it might be horrifying, you might not want your, your kids to watch it. And I think the uh, unfortunate net effect of that is to make more people watch it. Well, I'm telling you right straight out that if you are at all sensitive, uh, if you're at all queasy, uh, then don't watch this film. Just put on the, uh, the late-night movie uh, because this is uh, very heavy. It's the film shot by the Dallas dress manufacturer, Abraham uh, Zapruder, uh, and it's the execution of President Kennedy. And uh, Bob and Dick, would you please narrate what we're seeing as we show this film? This is, uh, this is commercial footage leading into Dealey Plaza. This is the car on Main Street. So this film was taken by actual newsmen. This was spliced together with the Abraham Zapruder film. Yes. All right, so this is the beginning of the motorcade. Okay, what you're seeing now is in slow motion so that you can grasp what is happening. Uh, this is a film taken by Marie Muchmore that leads into the Zapruder film. It's for time continuity. The president is waving to the crowd here. And Jacqueline Kennedy, of course, is sitting alongside him in the open car. Right. This is from Orville Nix's film. This, uh, 
This is originally 8 millimeter footage. And they're heading now toward Elm Street. They're on Houston Street now. They're going to make a left-hand turn. It's on the corner where they're going to make the turn there that the book depository was. Now, this is the Zapruder film. Okay, so the cars are coming along now into Dealey Plaza? Yes, these are the lead motorcycles of the motorcade. All right, now, with the president in Mrs. County is also Governor Connolly. Right. right. Now, before he goes behind the sign, the president is waving to the crowd. When he comes out from behind the sign, he is shot, then Governor Connolly is shot. He's already been hit. He's already been hit. And now? At the bottom of the screen, the headshot. That's the shot that blew up his head. It's the most horrifying thing I've ever seen in the movies. Now, the Warren Commission said that all of the shots were fired from behind by Lee Harvey Oswald, a lone assassin, firing at the president. And as you can see, clearly, the head is thrown violently backwards, completely consistent with the shot from the front right. Now, this is an extreme blow-up of just the president from the film. Coming out behind the sign, he's shot. He's hit from the the front, too. From the the front. front. Now... Jackie doesn't realize what's happened yet. She goes to his aid. And now? He's hit. Again, the violent backward motion. Totally consistent with 80% of the witnesses, which said the shot came from the grassy knoll in front and to the right. It's interesting to note how many people is running towards where most folks thought the shots came from. The head goes backwards in the next film uh, from the other side of the street. Oh, God, that's awful. That's the most upsetting thing I've ever seen. We'll talk about it in a minute. Here's a couple of segments about the Zapruder film, including one from his granddaughter that I thought was neat, done by CBS this morning. In 1999, the government paid the Zapruder family $16 million for the original 8mm film. That's more than $615,000 per second. It is now in the National Archives. That same year, the family turned over the licensing rights to the Sixth Floor Museum in Dealey Plaza. As for Abraham Zapruder, he died of cancer in 1970. A quiet, unassuming man who never expected to be immortalized by a moment in history which his images have frozen in time. Most important 26 seconds of film ever recorded. A Dallas dressmaker captured the 1963 assassination of President John F. Kennedy in horrific detail. Now, his granddaughter sharing the story behind the lens. Jan Crawford is at the museum in Washington with the short film that shaped how the world sees news unfold. Jan, good morning. Well, good morning. So, you know, there are examples here of regular people uh, recording key moments in our nation's history. But Abraham Zapruder was really the first citizen journalist. And his uh, granddaughter told us that that film was an accident of fate, but it shaped a nation and the Zapruder family. President Kennedy at Dallas Airport this morning uh, was cheerful and waving. It had been quite a triumphal tour. In an instant you see the entire course of history changed. Three shots were fired at President Kennedy's motorcade. 486 frames, a whole movie that showed the shooting of a president from beginning to end. President Kennedy died at 1 p.m. Central Standard Time. The Zapruder film was the first of its kind. It broke every barrier. Alexandra Zapruder grew up with it. Her grandfather, Abraham, a Dallas dressmaker and Russian immigrant who loved making home movies, wanted to record the president's visit for his wife and children. With an 8mm camera, he stood on this concrete ledge on the grassy knoll. When he saw the limousines coming around the corner, he began filming. He was the eyes for 
America onto that horrible day. That's right. And I think the film, in many ways, the film is really America's memory of this event. But the story of the Zapruder film is far more than those 26 seconds of video, as Alexandra Zapruder recounts in her new book. You have the film in your camera, we'll try yes, to... I brought it out of the studio. Within hours, her grandfather was thrust in front of the camera and into a media storm. And I saw his head practically open up, all blood and everything, and I kept on shooting. The government took copies of the film but left Zapruder with the original. He wanted the film to be protected out of respect for the Kennedys, so he entrusted it to Life magazine. After Life agreed, it shouldn't be sensationalized. Their interest was actually in protecting the American people and protecting the Kennedys, which in today's world seems completely unfathomable. Nobody protects anybody. The whole concept of privacy is, is practically um, obsolete. For the next 12 years, life kept the original under wraps. If you're at all queasy, uh, then don't watch this film. Just but in 1975, the, uh, Geraldo Rivera aired a bootleg copy. It's the most horrifying thing I've ever seen in the movies. Keeping it from the public fueled conspiracy theories that the government had something to hide. The film wasn't shown as a film to the American people for 12 years. Now, it wouldn't be 12 seconds before it was up on YouTube. That's the other part of the story that's so fascinating is the, is the story of technology, changing technology. We talked to Zapruder in a museum gallery where you can see how technology has evolved and affected journalism. Your grandfather, I mean, he was kind of the first citizen journalist. He was. Way. I think a lot about the Black Lives Matter movement and the use of the cell phone as a way to record something. It's a form of resistance. It's become something even more powerful. But still, the Zapruder film carries with it its own power. By accident or fate, it changed how we saw the world. It's the story of how life turns in an instant. You know, here's this beautiful couple riding down the street. Smiling. On a Jackie sunny day. Looks so beautiful. And then in a matter of seconds, it's over. And everything is over. Everything is different. Their lives changed. My grandfather's life changed. The culture changed. The society America. changed. The political climate. America, the world. Everything changed. And there it is on film. 26 seconds. 26 seconds. And that is what is so powerful about the film, which, of course, is also extremely valuable in 1999. Uh, the government agreed to pay the Zapruder family $16 million. It now will be preserved in the National Archives. And, you know, if you just do a quick search on the Internet, you can find that film. Uh, it is almost, I think, inconceivable to think that today a video like that could be kept out of the public view for so long. Gail. Yeah. Alexandra's right. That would never happen today. It would no. not be kept secret for privacy. Thank you, Jan. Yeah, I'm reminded to Clint Hill, who was the Secret Service agent who climbed on the car, blamed himself. Yeah, they not thought he didn't do enough. And it oh. traumatized his life for a long time. It's a big piece of our history. Next week on The End of Innocence, The JFK Assassination, we will take a look at the frame-by-frame -frame breakdown of the film and compare what the Warren Commission said happened versus what the film actually tells us. There are some stark differences between the two. We'll see you next week. <laughs>